0: Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. You can go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com to subscribe to the podcast or to the newsletter. All right, so I was on vacation last week and got a chance to do some thinking and some reading. There was no internet service. So one of the things I was thinking about was this podcast and how I really like this new format, the news format. I wanna try to tighten it up a little bit and be a little bit more um, useful with it. But I also was thinking I would like to do more Bible study stuff. I I think that one of my strengths is being precise about exegesis, about the Bible. I feel like that's one of the gifts that I have. But at the same time, this podcast, especially the sort of previous version, the version I've been doing for years, has always been my outlet for the kind of the opposite of that. It's me shooting from the hip. I rarely have notes. If I'm talking about Bible prophecy, it's very off the cuff kind of thing. It's, it's definitely not precise. So the current plan is that I will continue to do this news podcast where I'll look for signs that we're uh, told to look for in the end times, just to try to be a good watchman for what's going on. Also covering those topics that are, I think, important just as human beings going into whatever it is that we're going into with this crazy world. But then the other podcast or the second podcast a week, depending on how it shakes down in terms of timing, will be a Bible study of a certain topic. So, for example, I'd like to start um, a Gog Magog war study uh, starting next week or starting in the next podcast. And it'll also be sort of simultaneously a PowerPoint presentation slash video. So that's the plan going forward. I'll do one news podcast and one Bible study podcast a week for the foreseeable future. And we'll see if that is something sustainable that I can continue to do. All right, let's move on to the news. The top story is the Israeli-Palestinian ceasefire. So both sides have agreed to a ceasefire. It was a pretty crazy week in some senses. Israel basically had a huge number of military uh, advances on Palestine. The total death toll was something like 220. A lot of interesting things were happening there. The notably was Israel's sort of tough stance. They were saying things like, you know, we might just conquer uh, Gaza and I don't know, I, I think something could be happening there in terms of politics. Obviously, Benjamin Netanyahu showing this strong hand, I think he has been sort of seen as a person that has been rather not very strong on this issue. So it could be something like that. I don't think so. I think that that you had genuine things happening there. As I mentioned before, you had a lot of conflict with these holy days Ending up being on the same day, and a lot of stuff at the Temple Mount, tempers really were genuinely high, you also had this sort of Hamas sort of uh, uh, uprising and the whole elections thing and a lot of unrest there caused a lot more demonstrations on the Temple Mount, which then led to more rockets, which then led to a response, so in no way am I saying this is uh, some sort of manufactured psychological operation, but the net result of it seems to me to be more of a psychological story than anything else. Because in one sense, looking, taking a step back, this is a cycle that just happens. This basically entire thing that we saw is a cycle that has happened at least as long as I've been watching the news. And the same thing happens when it starts. Everybody loses their minds one way or the other. Um, And everybody's got sort of a different take, right? So the left and the Palestinians, which I think this is one of those times that I think really solidified that. I'm starting to even see a lot of stories That are just about that, like, wow, how crazy is it that the left is so pro-Palestinian? So that's now becoming obvious to people. My take is that it's actually more than that. I think that the entire sort of corporate world is is anti-Israel, and even Fox News. And I used to joke about this back in the day that Fox News, whenever these tensions would flare up, they would do these sort of quasi-backhanded pro-Israel. Uh, stories that were basically pro-Palestinian but they were Fox News so they had to like sort of have this veneer of pro-Israel but really it was anti-Israel and of course there's severe overcorrection on the right too this belief that Israel can do no wrong and and minimizes anything bad that they're doing and, and that whole thing is happening as well. I do tend to side with Israel on most of these things just in a purely geopolitical not religious kind of way and the reason is because if my two choices are the Palestinians and the Israelis, I my beliefs and understanding about how to conduct you know, humanitarian activities in life definitely is on the Israeli side as opposed to the Palestinian side. And I think a lot of that has come out with this latest round and people are just more aware of news stuff. But one thing to keep in mind here is that there is a lot more attention being paid to this than really makes any sense in the sense of like... That, that conflict in Tigray that I had been mentioning the last few weeks in Ethiopia, I think we're up to like 50,000 people are said to be dead by some estim- estimations, compared to 220 people dead here. I mean, and, and most people have never heard of Tigray, and it's way worse. So now I get it in one sense that Israel and Palestinians have this sort of genese ne sais quoi, this this ability to go out of... Uh, all out of proportion right to start world war three is not likely to start in ethiopia but it, actually i think it might if egypt gets involved or whatever but but it's certainly more likely to happen in israel plus there's all these uh you know beliefs about israel and and the palestinians and it's all wrapped up in people's identities and different things are happening there certainly there is reason for overemphasis in israeli palestinian things in the bible prophecy community both good reasons and bad reasons. I think that we have seen a lot of the bad reasons in this latest round. I almost can't watch these Bible prophecy uh, news sites anymore or look at them because it's almost a parody of themselves. And they're just so, so clickbaity. And I don't know if they believe it or not, but they say things like, you know, Turkey condemns, Israel calls for international uh, action. Gog Magog war begins now i mean it's like oh my gosh really no no i mean so many things wrong with that the idea being conveyed by these sites was that turkey was imminently going to send troops in and nothing could be further from the truth i mean why would turkey want to do that turkey would want to send troops to israel about as much as we would want to send troops or any country on the earth would want to send troops it would just be political suicide first of all and it would be a really bad move and you would expose yourself to all kinds of it it would just be the dumbest thing in the world um, but first of all, that's not what Turkey was saying. Turkey was doing about as milk toast of a thing that a president could do, which is to stand up at a podium and say, I condemn the person that my constituents don't want me to like, and I, uh, I praise the people that my constituents want me to like. And then he calls on the UN to do something, which is about as globalist, non-issue, It's like the very thing that your advisors would say, how do we make this go away so we can get back to doing something? Oh, condemn them, tell, tell the UN to do something about it. And let's all go back to what we were doing. I think in terms of Bible prophecy, my take on it is that it just emphasized some psychological things that I think are going to be important when the end times do happen, whenever that might be. I think the psychology that I'm talking about is number one, Israel needs to feel, to truly feel its isolation. The world is truly against them they have no helper um and i believe and they know that they are completely surrounded by enemies i think that that gets even more intense as rocket technology gets better as some of these uh, places do end up getting nuclear weapons and stuff like that also i believe that the temple mount issue sort of emphasized some of the narratives that are going to be important in the end times particularly their their the injustice of the Palestinians getting to go on the Temple Mountain, shoot rockets and have parties, and they can't even go up there to pray. It's illegal. And, and there's no good reason for them not to just take it back. Of course, it would start a complete the, the world war that they're all, uh, 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 everybody is truly afraid of if they did it. So I do think that's what happens at the beginning of the 70th week, which is I would consider the actual end time starting is that, that uh, moment when the Antichrist makes a covenant with many which apparently has something to do with sacrifices on the Temple Mount. So I think that, and of course I believe he is a protector and I believe that the wars that follow are him protecting in a a misguided effort to look like this one dipped in and, you know, from Basra with his robes dipped in blood from Isaiah, you know, he's gonna come back victorious saying, I have defeated your enemies that, that I told you, you know, I think that there's an understanding that he has some ability with military uh, uh warfare before he even makes the covenant that's part of the covenant that's being made is a protection it's a uh, anyway okay moving on we've been on israel for far too long let's move on to some news starting with covid news and this story right here i think is probably the leading story french nobel prize winning virologist professor says the covid 19 shots are creating variants so we talked about this with another guy geert van den bosch in a previous podcast This guy, Professor Luc Montagnier, uh, is a different one. And he is a Nobel Prize winning virologist. So he is no slouch. And he's saying the same thing that Geert Vandenbosch did. He's warning of something called antibody dependent enhancement, which is the idea that the giving people this vaccine during a pandemic with the presence of variants around is unprecedented and will cause will cause new resistant variants to be bred in everybody's bodies and can lead to, among other things, the ability for our natural ability to fight these things to be hampered by the vaccine antibodies that were created, which will essentially block our normal uh, processes for dealing with this. And then, of course, this will be a big deal for us if it's true, because we'll actually have really dangerous viruses in the future, not to say that COVID-19 isn't dangerous, but it it has been, as we'll see in another story, mostly the same people that would die from the flu are the same people that would die from COVID-19 for the most part, obviously. So, but this could have the potential to be completely different, a totally different narrative that we're going to have to adjust to and a, a different reality. I mean, you've seen the fear and propaganda that is, been pushed on us from the virus with a 99.97 survival rate. What if that that changes? And what if kids start dying? Can you imagine what they'll get us to do at that point if that happens? And I think this story is is suggesting that these people. And one of the reasons I think this is a big story is because these are no slouches, and 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 the they're they're incredibly. I mean, a Nobel Prize-winning virologist and Geert Van den Bosch and other smart people are standing up and and not just saying it lightly, saying this is huge. This is this is a big deal we need to stop right now so the level of their warning is also interesting to me um, and then i think it's important because we need to put this in our hearts because right now there's a feeling of course it's summer is starting and there's this feeling that that covet is over and it's all we can almost believe that it's just something that it'll go away now now that they did their thing but think of it like this. In the next flu season, season, there's going to be 450,000 people die like they do every year. And they'll do the same thing they did this year. Not a single one of those will be counted as a, a flu death. They'll be all counted as COVID deaths. So even if nothing changes, they're going to have another mysterious spike of COVID during flu season. And then, of course, we're going to be told to get our vaccines or whatever. But what if the this also takes effect at that point. These new variants actually are a thing, and they do start to widen the 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 death toll on people that normally weren't susceptible. Then we're going to have a whole different narrative, and I I, I just I shudder to think what they'll do in that scenario. So I hope that is not what is happening. I hope they are not truly breeding super viruses in all the people that have been vaccinated. But if they are, it's something to keep in mind. And some very smart people do seem to be warning of that. Quick correction before we move on, on the number of people that die from the flu every year worldwide, something between 250,000 to 500,000. And this new article is saying 646,000 people worldwide each year die from the flu. Uh, in, the, in the United States, it's something like 45, 50,000 people die from the flu each year. And that, of course, varies. All right, moving on to the story about the Wuhan lab, so a lot more information is coming out about this. There is this congressional inquiry of, of, this is from the Wall Street Journal, will Fauci's boss answer the questions about the Wuhan lab? This is about Dr. Francis Collins. Of course, Anthony Fauci, stories uh, have also come out about him and their role in the government and actually probably specifically behind the government's back funding Bat coronavirus gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab. You have all these sort of fact-checkers checker, coming out and saying now it's not a conspiracy theory all of a sudden to talk about the uh, the escaped COVID-19 lab theory. Politifact, uh, Zero Hedge News is reporting on that. So here's a situation where I think that everybody now admits that we have them dead to rights. The question is, does it matter to anyone? Does Congress have the power to do anything? Um, And my suspicion is, no. And this is just gonna be another thing that is basically admitted and known, weapons of mass destruction or whatever, but just nothing happens. And everybody just goes on, the wicked keep prospering, which is, you know, think about it, you know, I'm thinking about the Bill Gates situation where we're starting to see news stories about him. And it's actually taken an interesting turn. It started off with Epstein. And I think the Epstein connection is really something serious because Epstein, among all the other you know pedophile stuff he was also doing some really weird stuff with lab stuff he was he was he had like this entire science division and was getting money for some crazy research and stuff so i don't even was giving money as well to to for for research but he had his own on staff scientist i don't even know what was going on there but it was it was fishy and bill gates was all involved with it and so this divorce happens, this leak from Melinda Gates's camp about that and we start to think, oh my gosh, is this it? And now we're starting to see stories of quote unquote, turning on gates, but it's all about uh, womanizing and, and naked pool parties and things like that. It's like really it's like the admitting to the lesser of two evils kind of thing. So it's like if anything ever does happen it'll be like, they got divorced because he was just a womanizer and sort of a bad guy sometimes, but nothing about Epstein. So they're they're developing a narrative to just admit to this lesser of two evils. And maybe I'm a bit of a cynic, but my suspicion is that none of this will matter. Uh, Fauci, Gates will continue doing whatever they're doing. Um, you know, it just, it just doesn't really seem to matter when you have somebody dead to rights anymore. Think Hunter Biden, think Gavin Newsom, think... Um, Andrew Cuomo is a good one, right? We all thought, oh, well, this is the end, you know, victory, victory. It's not a victory. These people don't actually lose power. There's too much money involved. And again, I think it's this, there's this quote about the Federal Reserve from, I think it's Thomas Jefferson that says, if we ever give the central banks the, the ability to issue currency, we will wake up penniless and homeless on the country, uh, on the on the land our, our fathers conquered or something like that. And it's because if you allow people to do this and especially when we're at that time right now where you can literally print up money and it means something because for a short time they can just print up make people billionaires for and they really are billionaires not not giving them zimbabwe dollars or whatever for a short time that's real money and that's what's happening here we, we have the pharmaceutical industry funding uh, the lobbyist industry in in washington the pharmaceutical industry outpaces oil By 100%, they give double the amount of money that the oil lobby gives in Washington. Things are just, when you have this much money to throw around, you can do anything. And that's the power of being able to print your own money. You can buy the world and you might have to bide your time and it might need to be a multi-generation thing, but eventually you end up, it's like the game of Monopoly. There's no game of Monopoly that doesn't end up with one person with all the money. I've got this story here from the Gateway Pundit about how the deaths that were caught, the COVID-19 deaths that were exclusively from COVID-19, that is to say without comorbidities, is down to 5%. So 95%, according to the CDC, of the people that died from COVID-19 had some kind of comorbidity like sepsis or Alzheimer's disease or something like that. 95%. So We all kind of know this, but this is the CDC admitting that they were counting anything that they possibly could as a COVID-19 death. And I'm sure in that 95% have the infamous motorcycle deaths and the rest of it were counted as COVID-19 deaths. Now, we know the interesting thing about this is that they're doing the exact reverse for anybody that is getting a vaccine. For them, it's almost impossible for them to be called a coronavirus case. It is, even if they die from COVID-19, they have a completely different way of counting that if you got vaccinated. Here's a breakdown I saw on Twitter of this new, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, the new CDC guidance for how to uh, do the PCR tests and when to count somebody that's been vaccinated. Here it is. Person A has not been vaccinated, not been vaccinated. They test positive for COVID using a PCR test uh, of 40 cycles. And despite having no symptoms, they are officially a COVID case. Person B has been vaccinated, they test positive at 28 cycles and spend six weeks bedridden with a high fever because they never went into a hospital and didn't die. They are not a COVID case. Person C, who was also vaccinated and did die after weeks in the hospital with a high fever and respiratory problems, only their positive PCR test was at 29 cycles. So they're not officially a COVID case either. If you are vaccinated, you basically are Protected from COVID. You're protected from ever being called a COVID case, and you can die from COVID and still not have COVID. What a wonderful vaccine this thing is. Another interesting news story that's being admitted now is that the vaccine really isn't effective at all for people with certain medical conditions. So it's not even the safe and effective bit. We know it's not safe, but it's apparently not effective at all or very little for people that have certain things. So 15 to 80% of people with certain medical conditions aren't generating many antibodies, if any, after receiving a COVID vaccine. According to NBC News, people taking medications that suppress their immune system, those on medications for inflammatory disorders, and those with blood cancers showed significantly weaker antibody response to the vaccine. 46% of transplant uh, patients in this study didn't mount any antibody response after two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. So there is this huge subset of people, and these are not small subsets. If we're talking about people taking medications for inflammatory disorders, I mean, what, what or, or immune system things. I mean, this could be a huge subsection of people and they're just not working. And yet the recommendation of course is, well, you got to take the vaccine anyway. We don't need to think about that or test for it or ask about it or anything. So just one more admitted thing about the vaccine, that is to say, it's not particularly effective for some people. I like this one where nearly half of all NIAD and FDA employees are refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. I can't imagine that's gotta change. I'm sure some heads rolled after that uh, congressional hearing, they went back and said, we've gotta get these people vaccinated, it's looking bad, I don't know what's gonna happen. But that is an interesting story. Uh, Moving on quickly to the vaccine damage kind of stories. Eric Clapton feared he would never play again after the AstraZeneca vaccine said propaganda overstated the safety. So it's a pretty big name. Interesting story here with little safety data, CDC recommends Pfizer COVID vaccine for 12-year-old children and up. And this is interesting because of the complete nonsense of it. Um, Here's a pull quote. Based on the less than 1,200 adolescents who were administered the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. The ACIP voted to recommend that the experimental vaccine can be given to every adolescent in the U.S. and said it can be given simultaneously with every other vaccine recommended by the CDC for adolescent children. So the CDC says it's okay for a 12-year-old to get the experimental Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, along with vaccines for influenza, HPV, Tdap, and meningococcal on the same day. The FDA's may 10th fact sheet is this is important because of course you've got all these adjuvants that are uh, like squalene and aluminum and synthetic dna that are designed to stimulate the immune system and are known to cause all kinds of problems but who knows what it's going to cause in relationship to this and when you really dig down in the into these studies like we've seen the the, the studies they've been doing with little kids have had at least two kids die from them anecdotally you can't prove it they were probably old kids that were going to die anyway and that's the, the earlier age group. So I don't know what's happened with these 12 year olds, but I do know that they'll do things like the, the placebo group will be given other vaccines with other adjuvants, you know? So if they have a bad reaction, they can say it's not statistically different than the, the, the control group, because they also had, you know, some bad reaction because they gave them a, poison as well you know so it's really some sneaky stuff going on with these tests and it's just of course nonsensical because kids just are not in any way susceptible to COVID-19 or at least COVID-19 1.0 Canadian man loses over six feet of intestines after blood clot caused by COVID vaccine Kansas man says second Pfizer shot left him with rare temporary paralysis it's not that rare of course this is a mainstream uh, article so it's going to call it rare but it is not rare according to The VAERS data 12 fully vaccinated people died of COVID in LA County. uh, And we've got more of this kind of stuff. But I want to say about these kinds of stories, it may seem like this is a situation where we're hearing about this. But in order to get these stories, I had to weigh through mountains and mountains of propaganda. Just huge stories about how wonderful the vaccine is and how everybody's getting it and how there's no problems with it and how people that say that there are problems with it should be crucified and just just so much and you know you, you're living in the same world I am you know how this is so overwhelming as much as I would like to think that people get it I have to remind myself of TikTok which I recently installed and then uninstalled because it was the worst of humanity and I have to remember that's what humanity is in a large portion of, of, of humanity is there doing that and you know they are not being critical at all about this. And that's probably the, the majority. I, I installed it because I was trying to do some evangelism stuff. I want to make these, you know, if you remember sermon jams, they're really great, but they're not formatted for scrollable content. So you need to sort of find the good stuff. You need to put text on the screen uh, in in timing to what the, what the pastor or preacher is saying and basically just make it so it can be understood without volume and, and formatted for all the different social media stuff or whatever. But anyway, all that to say, it reminded me that tiktok and the tiktok world exists and that if i dwell on that too too long i'll i'll be depressed. All right, moving on to some other stories. What do we got here? Oregon counties vote to secede into Idaho. Now, this is i don't know if this is happening. Let's read. Several counties in Oregon on May 18th voted to consider joining the state of Idaho, which is part of a long shot movement to break away from the state that has long been dominated by politicians in portland so they've got a map here that i've seen with this story called greater idaho and uh, it kind of extends idaho to have coastal territory which would of course be good for idaho so idaho would probably be all about this because they've got a huge section of the coast now can do who knows what so this is interesting it as it says here it's a long shot but i think if this becomes a thing Other states would follow suit, and it could lead to a lot of redrawing of maps and things. And I think ultimately it would lead to a secession of one series of states from the country. And that, of course, I think sounds good, but it would probably lead to civil war, if for no other reason, because of the nuclear weapons that are no doubt in that state in some military base or whatever, because now you've created a totally different nuclear power and uh, that can't be allowed to happen the other side will insist so then it will literally create some problems so just wanted to keep an eye on this whole secession of counties in oregon to idaho fed will launch a broad discussion of a digital dollar this summer powell says so the fed chairman Jerome powell says they're going to discuss a digital dollar this summer according to market watch now the the chinese government has already done this the digital yuan has been Uh, Launched, And this is by no means a cryptocurrency. This is basically just the end of cash. And it will be a way for them to give people universal basic income and to their Fed account or whatever. And one of the reasons that this is uh, advantageous for the central banks is that one of the problems that they have with trying to keep this whole machine afloat is... Uh, monetary velocity and different things like that they need people to spend the money that they print in certain ways uh and with a digital thing uh, entirely controlled by them they can do all kinds of stuff like that they can give you money that they say you have to spend this in the hotel industry or it expires at a certain amount of, of time and they can do all kinds of weird stuff like that to continue to kick the can down the road with this incredible money printing situation it also allows them to basically go below zero in terms of interest rates so it's a, it's a way to sort of make this system continue to survive and it's one of these things that makes me think you know on the one hand i think there's no scenario in which the dollar doesn't crash into oblivion but at the same time i have to keep remembering that that's not advantageous for a lot of these corporations and billionaires and and the the federal reserve and all the different um, uh, uh central banks who are basically controlling the world so it's more advantageous for them just to have control and so I think it's more of a shift of a new system a new paradigm that's being introduced slightly and we need to be careful about too, putting too many eggs in the in the dollars going to crash basket because it might not and it might just transition to a more controlled version of course they will also be able to track every every possible, Um, transaction which is another super huge benefit for the uh, 1984 state is they know everything about you because they have complete access to all your spending habits. Quickly the Bitcoin news, Bitcoin dropped quite a bit. It's now down to about 38,000 on Saturday down from the highs way up there 50 something thousand, 57,000 and just crashed. A lot of stuff is getting blamed for it. I think that anybody could have looked at this and said no matter what you think about Bitcoin and its long-term value, it was in a bubble at that moment. There was just too much money in Bitcoin from sources that ought not have been in it and don't weren't pricing in anything. They were just heard about Bitcoin and it certainly was being promoted. And a lot of money got lost over this uh, recent, uh, this week and week and a half or whatever it's been. My view on Bitcoin remains the same, which is that I think as a currency for the oppressed, a currency for the canceled, Bitcoin has a future, and it's a future I'm very bullish on, but its current prices, I don't think, uh, reflect the new world order. I think in a utopia, if I didn't believe in, you know, a somewhat dark future for humanity, I might be able to be convinced that Bitcoin might, you know, one day be the currency of the world and everybody would love it and we would have the the central banks are out of the picture and whatever. Yeah, Okay or the other thing happens and the central central banks take over and they just completely kill their competition and that's what's likely to happen right so they're going to regulate bitcoin probably they're going to make it illegal and it's probably going to happen in the stages you know lots of taxes on bitcoin uh you know this country over here makes it illegal then this country then it's you know you go to jail if you get used it. and all all throughout this whole process that that Price is just going to get hit and hit and hit, and it's going to go down, but I don't think it'll ever go to zero. And the reason I like Bitcoin, the reason I own a little bit of Bitcoin is because and Ethereum, is because they have uses in the Christian world post whatever the worst case scenario is. I think that it's going to be a medium of exchange. You might have to weigh that versus if they do make it illegal, like go to jail to use it. But if you've got no other option and no other way to make a payment in a serious situation, that might be the way to do it. Anyway, That's my view on it. I think in the short term, I might be a little bit bullish on Bitcoin because I think the ETFs that are coming through uh, that are gonna allow institutional investors for the first time to have their clients invest in Bitcoin is probably going to do a lot for the price. And I wouldn't be surprised if it shoots back to the moon um, in the near term, but long-term, I would say set an amount that you're happy with that you tell yourself, I'll get out if it hits this amount and then don't let the fear of missing out keep you from selling it. In other words, I think your long-term view of Bitcoin should be based on your long-term view of the world and where you think it's going. Do you think that central banks will win in the end, or do you think that, uh, you know, it's all going to be, they're going to be defeated and Bitcoin is going to be the the currency of forever, because competition is a sin, as I think it was Rockefeller said, and The competition of fiat currency in this digital dollar is Bitcoin. All right, I think that will do it for me today. The next podcast, look for the beginning of the Gog Magog War Study, and uh, I will get another news podcast out a week from today, Lord willing. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com, sign up for the newsletter. One of the ways that you can support this podcast is by uh, doing a review on iTunes, which you can go to iTunes, search for Bible Prophecy Talk, do a a review that way you can also of course pray for me and you can donate if you want to at the website bibleprophecytalk.com all right that is it for me we'll see you next time bye bye